Now, I grew up watching some old TV shows. I'm not going to call them old because I don't want to insult anybody in the room, but older TV shows, okay? I grew up on shows like Boy Meets World and, and then a little bit later like Seinfeld as I got older friends. And there was this consistent theme that ran through them. And there's this idea that there was this place that everyone would just go to hang out. Like this group of friends just had their spot to hang out. And I feel like I missed out on this. Like I didn't have a spot with my friends. We didn't have a coffee shop or a diner. And I'm just curious, like did anyone have like that spot that they went to with their friends? Can you shout it out if you had that spot? The diner, okay. Yeah, that's Long Island for you right there. Like everybody was at the diner, all right. Honestly, that was kind of my, like, the closest thing I had in high school on Friday nights after youth group, me and my friends would go to the Dix Hills Diner on Jericho Turnpike. And we were regulars, but I'm pretty sure we were the bad kind of regulars because we were teenagers, we were messy, we were loud, we were probably horrible tippers. The staff, I think, hated us. Um, after a couple of years of doing that, my buddy and his youth group friends started going from a different church, Anthony Cry, some of you know him. And so we would, like, push our tables together. The staff really hated us then because we'd be there till like, midnight. It was, it was not good. And then when I was in college, I used to go to this coffee shop called The Muse, which sounds like a really hipster coffee shop. And whatever you're thinking, it was more hipster than that. Like it was the most hipster coffee shop ever. And they had this drink called Christmas in a Cup. And it was like Christmas in a Cup. And I spent years, literal years, trying to recreate this drink. I've never been able to. I'm chasing that high still to this day, okay? But I kind of feel like I missed out on that place to hang out. Like sometimes... I don't know, there's something beautiful about having that spot with your friends. Like, you just want to go where everybody knows your name. You know what I'm talking? You'll get that later. Um, that's fine. But there is this idea in culture. Maybe you've heard of it. It's this term called the third place. I had never heard of it until I actually started working at this small coffee shop you may have heard of, really niche place called Starbucks, and maybe you've never heard of it. Um, and it's this idea coined by a sociologist named Ray Oldenburg. And this idea is that human beings have three places where they spend most of their time. Their first place is their home, their second place is their job or their school, and their third place is this more abstract place where they go to uh, engage in social interaction, to be a part of a community and be a part of something bigger. And so when I worked at Starbucks, I was doing part-time here at the church, part-time over there, and we would do these trainings called third place trainings. I remember the first time I saw my name on the list for a third place training, I was like, hold on, what did I get third? place in because I don't like I was a pretty competitive barista we used to have competitions and I won a lot of them all right so I don't get third place and then I showed up and I realized that's not what it was and the whole idea was how do we make our shop uh, more welcoming more of a place where people can feel like they belong and engage with the community and as we were doing this over years we used to do this quarterly and I used to think really the same two things over and over. Man, what a cool idea. What a cool way to approach community, being welcoming, being hospitable, right? What an awesome way to approach it. And how cool would it be if we started integrating some of these ideas into church life, right? Like I started thinking, my wheels started turning there. But more than that, I started to feel a little disheartened. I began to feel disheartened because I felt like the church at large was failing at this. Like, how is it that a multi-billion dollar coffee company with carbon copies on every street corner is leading the charge in community and belongingness and not the church of Jesus Christ? Like, how is it that the church isn't known universally throughout culture for being a place where you can find community and be welcome and belong to something bigger than yourself? 
Like the bookstores and the coffee shops and the bars and the gyms should be competing for third, or fifth, sixth, seventh place in my mind. The third place should be locked down by the church. But we've, we've missed out on it. We've missed out on it. I was even scrolling just the other day and, and I came across a video of this guy who called himself a sociologist. I don't really know what it takes to be a sociologist. I guess you could just call yourself one and you are. And he talked about how third places are dying because of the pandemic, right? We have small businesses closing down, people working from home, going to school from home, not going out into public. And his solution was more coffee shops, more bookstores, more bars, didn't say a word about the church, didn't say a word about um, other religious organizations, and it just broke my heart because the church should be owning this. They should be, we should be on the forefront of this, and we are at risk of missing out on so many good things that God has for us, and that's what I want you to see today. Like, as we talk about church community or what I'm going to call gospel-centered community versus coffee shop community, God has something really great for us when we decide to engage as the church in gospel-centered community. There's blessing there in gospel-centered community, right? Like the blessing of deep relationships, knowing and being known by someone in a deep way, belonging to something, whether you feel like in culture you're the outcast, you've never belonged to anything, you're accepted somewhere. There are so many deep blessings that come in gospel-centered community. I even think about having your needs met. Like over the last couple of weeks, Doug shared some stories about how uh, people in our church, out of love and out of generosity, paid for people's school tuitions, helped pay off mortgages, helped pay for cars. That didn't happen out of obligation. It happened out of love that was cultivated in gospel-centered community. God wants to bless his people in gospel-centered community. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to walk through our faith alone. We're not meant to walk into this room, maybe smile at someone, grab your coffee, and leave. Like, that's not what God has for us here. It's not what God has for us here. The second thing that we're missing out on is reaching people for God's kingdom. See, community is such an amazing conduit for God's grace and his salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, well so often the difference maker for somebody is the way that they were treated when they walked in these doors. And we've heard it over and over, and, and you guys have killed it at this, right? Like someone walks in, and the message is powerful, and God moves into worship, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but so often their response is, I knew I needed to come back because of the way that people treated me. Or I got plugged into this group, and man, they just accepted me immediately. And that's what was the vehicle for them coming to know the Lord in such a deeper way. See, community is such a powerful way to reach people. And again, we miss out on it when we don't engage in gospel-centered community. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. And I don't know what's brought you into the room today. Maybe you're struggling with addiction or sin and you thought, I got to just try anything so I'll try the church. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety, and it just took everything in you to get out of bed this morning and come here. Maybe you have questions or doubts, and, and you thought, I need these questions answered, so maybe I'll check out this church. But most likely, like if I had to place my bet on what has brought you here this morning, it's that someone invited you, and they said something along the lines of, come to my church, you're going to love the people at my church. And the only reason you gave that invitation the time of day is because of the way that that person has treated you. And you said to yourself, man, well, if there's a church 
full of people like this person that maybe it's worth checking out. Each one of us has this desire for community. It's within us, and, and God has made a way for you and for me to engage in that community. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, what I hope you're going to hear more than anything else today, more than programs, more than ways to get plugged in or involved, is that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for you to belong not just to this church, but to the eternal church, to his eternal kingdom, that through his death and resurrection, you and I can belong to something. And we can have freedom and forgiveness and life with him. That's what I hope you walk away knowing more than anything else this morning. So we're going to spend our time together in Romans 12. It's one of those familiar passages if you've spent any time in church. Like you probably know some of the verses out of this chapter. And Romans is a letter written by Paul to a collection of house churches in Rome that he probably... um, He had something to do with the planting of this church. We don't know exactly what role he took or how, but he had something to do with it. And so he's writing to this collection of house churches. And Romans is kind of like Paul's magnum opus, okay? Like he just covers everything. He goes so in-depth. He talks about all different facets of theology. He talks about humanity and sin. He talks about God. He talks about salvation. He talks about history and Israel. And then in the last few chapters, he begins to get practical, He starts addressing the church on really practical church matters, individualized matters, how to live in a society run by a government, right? And so Romans 12 kind of sits right at the transition point away from doctrine and towards practical teaching for the church. And as we look at this, we're going to see that Paul is lining out what gospel-centered community ought to look like, and it is radically different than coffee shop community. And so this is what he says In Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he should think and said, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And so right off the bat, this doesn't seem very corporate, right? It doesn't seem like he's talking about the church. He seems like he's talking to individuals. And as Paul is transitioning out of doctrine, he wants to make one thing very clear. And that thing is our relationship to our heavenly father. Like before we can talk about any of our interpersonal relationships, before we can talk about any of our church relationships and doing community as a church, one relationship needs to be worked out and understood, and that is our relationship to God. When I was in college, I had to take this class. Everyone at Liberty took it. It's called Psych 150, Psychology of Relationships, which is the most Liberty thing in the entire world. It's like how to get a wife, basically, all right? And it's kind of, I'm not like lying either. That's the thing. Um, And there was two professors that taught this class. They couldn't be more different. One of them was the coolest dude, like your cool uncle. His name was Dr. Logan, which is even a cool name, okay? And he had a background in clinical psych and trauma response therapy and all these different things, and he would tell the most engaging, incredible stories. And then the other guy, whose name I don't even remember, I don't think he had any qualifications in psych at all. He was like this corny Southern Baptist preacher. He would get up and say the same thing every class, and this is what he would say. I'm going to do my best impression. He would say this. He'd say, Guys, some of you are concerned about these relationships. 
All you care about is these relationships. But you got to get this relationship right before you have any prayer at these relationships. And do you see what I'm doing, guys, with my hands? It's a cross, guys. My hands are making a cross. This is what he would do like every week, okay? And I hate to admit it, but he was right. Like if we don't get this relationship right, then, then these relationships don't have a chance. And so what Paul is saying is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's how you get this relationship right. What does that mean? He's drawing a line to the Old Testament. See, in Old Testament worship, people would bring physical animal sacrifices to an altar. And what he's saying is we don't necessarily bring physical sacrifices, but we present ourselves, our lives, as a spiritual sacrifice. We posture ourselves or we commit our lives to submission and obedience to God. That is our true worship, Paul says. That we live a life of submission and obedience Man, that should be a unifier for us, right, as a church, that every single one of us is committed to obedience and submission to God. He also says that your mind ought to be renewed and transformed, and, and sometimes I think we get this uh, verse wrong. He says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and I think sometimes as Christians, we get this just slightly wrong. We say things to each other like, oh, you got to renew your mind, you got to renew your mind. And I just want to point out that it's not you or me that does the renewing here. I'll throw a little bit of Greek at you just, just for a second, okay? So the verb here is actually not renew. It's the verb uh, is transformed. Renew is actually a noun that kind of qualifies the verb. And so the verb is metamorpho, and it's in the middle passive voice, which I, mean, I know means nothing to you. The middle passive voice basically means that the action is not being acted out by the subject. It's actually being acted upon the subject by an external force. And so what Paul is saying is that when our minds are transformed and renewed, it's being done by God onto the believer. Again, getting that relationship with God right, submitting ourselves to obedience to God, allowing him to transform and renew our minds. And when we get that relationship right, then community can take place. I mean, think about it. If some of us are committed to obedience and submission, Others of us are committed to our own desires, our own agendas, our own will. Then community never takes place. It, it can't grow. It's going to crumble. But if we are all of one mind, if we are all unified in that we are submitted to God, then, man, community can flourish. And that's how gospel-centered community already sets itself apart, right? Because it's not rooted in, like, coffee shop, like, oh, I, I need a cup of coffee today. And so that's what brings me here. No, it's rooted in something so much deeper and so much better, and we're going to continue to unpack that. Paul also says, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he should think, right? This idea that it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about God. And so now one of us is, is better or worse and said we are all unified under that same banner, submission and obedience to God. In verse 4, Paul says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it in proportion of one's faith. 
If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So now Paul's pretty clearly talking about the church, right? Like he's getting into gospel-centered community, and he uses this analogy of the body, and Paul loves this analogy. Okay, he uses it in 1 Corinthians 12. He uses it in Colossians 1. He likes this analogy, and it's a good one, right? He calls the church is kind of like a body. It's made up of all these different parts and organs and members, and they all function differently to contribute to the health of that body. And in Colossians 1, he, he makes a distinction that Christ is the head of that body. That the most important piece, the thing that drives the entire thing, the authority, the decision maker is Christ. So when we talk about the eternal church spanning thousands of years all the way into eternity, Jesus Christ is the head of that body. When we talk about living word in our little pocket of history, right, Jesus Christ is our head and our authority. Again, what a wonderful unifier that we have that we all are under one Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he starts to unpack this idea that we all have different gifts and different talents that contribute to the body. I love the way that the body exemplifies both diversity and unity. And I just want to note really quickly, um, diversity has, that word has kind of become a political buzzword. And I just want you to kind of put off any baggage that you might have, good or bad. Just put that off for a moment and think about it in its pure form, diversity, difference, right? Distinction. We are diverse. We're diverse functionally and personally. A body needs to be diverse, right? Like I need, if I'm going to survive, I need a central nervous system. I need muscles. I need organs, right? If I have a shoulder blade where my liver is, it's not going to be very good. The body needs to be diverse, and so we're diverse personally, right? Like, we're just different. We come from different backgrounds, different heritages. We have different opinions, different tastes in music, TV. We are different people. And that's, that's good. That's, that's a good thing. We're also different functionally. What does that mean? That we contribute to the body differently. Some of us have gifts that will lead us to contributing in other ways than another, right? So some of us are really good with people, right? Man, bless you if you're good with people. Like, you can stand in front of a stranger and just talk to them. There's not a single awkward silence or, like, weird small talk, right? Like, you're just good at talking with someone. Or maybe you're good with small groups, right? And there's others of us who are like, please, God, no. Like, do not put me in front of people. But you get in, like, a behind-the-scenes or you deal with tech, and all of a sudden, you're in your element and you're killing it, right? Like, some of us are just going to serve in different ways than others. We're different functionally, and that's a good thing. Each part needs the other. See, the diversity should lead us to unity, not division, because each thing needs the other. Like your right hand and your left hand are not in competition with one another. They aid each other throughout the day. In the same way, these different roles or functions aid one another. They need each other. It should lead us to unity, and I want to warn you against drawing any distinction or ranking in your mind about positions in the church. I, I seriously want to urge you against that because I've seen it happen. You know, I've been around church and church ministry for a number of years. And um, when I was in college and different things, like, I've just seen the way that uh, when we start making rankings in our minds about who's more important, who's less important, what position is more important, less important, it becomes really dangerous. 
it becomes really divisive. Okay, instead, each position, each function is equally valuable to another. This is why Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. I would add, don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought to. Don't look at someone else and say, man, what they're doing is so much more important than what I'm doing, or they contribute in a better way. That is not true. We are all equal in the way that we contribute to the body. And I urge you against any kind of thinking like that. We are unified. Paul also says that we are individually members of one another. That's a really powerful thing to say. Because what he's saying is, in some way, we are responsible to each other. You can't walk around saying, oh, I don't owe him anything or I don't owe her anything. In gospel-centered community, you kind of do. Like, you kind of belong to one another. You have a responsibility to each other. I think Paul actually unpacks exactly what he means in the coming verses This is what he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own estimation, right? This is church life. This is gospel-centered community, and I wish that we could walk through each one of these. I think that would take probably a really long time, so I'm going to highlight a couple of them that I think really synthesize what Paul's saying, but I love it because it's just so simple, right? Like, this is one of the only passages in the Bible. It's like, do this and don't do this. That's really nice. And um, he says this, love one another as brothers and sisters. Take lead in honoring one another. I mean, that's, that's not a hard concept to wrap your head around, but it's powerful, right? Like to love someone as a brother and sister is way different than to love someone as a friend. You and I all have friends. I love my friends deeply. But if we're honest about our friendships, they're just a few betrayals and lies and hurts from crumbling But when we think about brothers and sisters, right, there's a loyalty, there's a commitment, there's a faithfulness there that just doesn't exist in everyday relationships. And what Paul is saying is love each other like that. Love each other with a loyal, faithful love that doesn't run out. And I just want to acknowledge right now that that's costly. That's costly. That's that's an expensive kind of love because it requires us to lay down something, some of our offenses, some of our pride. Man, that's a costly kind of love. He says, pursue um, or take lead in honoring one another. Man, to lead in doing honor, to lead in blessing, to not do it out of obligation or because someone first uh, honored or blessed you, so now you feel like you have to honor them. No, no, no. Take lead, pursue one another in love. Again, that's costly. That's not always easy. Man, but it's the same brand of costly, faithful love that Jesus loved us first with, right? That he pursued us in our sinfulness. While we were called enemies of God, he died in our place so that we would have forgiveness and life with him. That is the same brand of costly love that he's calling us to pursue with one another. To love one another faithfully as we have once been loved. And man, that's what sets apart gospel-centered community from coffee shop communities, that's rooted in the fact that Jesus gave of himself for us, and so now we can give of ourselves for others. That's gospel-centered community. 
Paul also says, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Again, not a difficult thing to wrap your mind around, but costly, right? To, to meet people's needs. That, that sometimes costs something of ourselves. Maybe our time, maybe our emotional energy, sometimes our finances, right? Like Doug shared, like we've, we've seen people just give of their finances before. Man, I want to brag on my community group for a second. There was a, a time a couple of years ago where this person had joined our group. They were really serious about getting community. Like they were brand new to this church and they just jumped right in and they were all in on it. It felt like they had been with us for years only after a couple of weeks, right? They jumped in. They were all in on community. And every year I make this person share their story because um, the way that they exemplified community is just so amazing. Maybe one day I'll get them on stage. I don't know. But, but they just fully jumped in on community. And then shortly after they joined, they started going through some real personal hardship. Uh, one of their family members fell really ill. And uh, they were bearing some of that financial responsibility. And so we got together and we just said, hey, how do we bless them? And, and my, you, me and my wife, we were married at the time. We were leading the college community group. There's a bunch of broke 18 and 19-year-olds, okay? And most of them were, like they were freshmen and sophomore. And we didn't have any expectations about what they would do. Like we were thinking maybe a couple hundred bucks if we're lucky, Okay, and what they did, they came through, we were blown away. Like, they exceeded what we thought, like, five, ten times what we thought they would. Like, crazy amounts. I remember one person in particular gave more than what we thought the entire group was going to give as a whole. Like, it was insane. We were just able to bless this person. And they didn't do it out of obligation. I didn't get them together. I, like, threatened them. Like, they just did it because they loved this person. And it was cultivated in community. Man, they shared it the needs of a saint. Man, that's what, what gospel-centered community leads us to do. And pursue hospitality, man. Opening up our homes. There's something so powerful when we open up our homes, when we share a meal with people, right? I think it's, it's maybe because it's reflective of that early church model where people just got together and they dug in together. They enjoyed fellowship and they ate. I mean, there's just something so beautiful about it. Last week, I had a little lunch for the community group leaders. And, and we were talking and we were casting vision and I started talking about how I'm so excited for the church to be built, and it's going to be so cool if groups want to meet there, they can meet there. And one of the group leaders so graciously was like, yeah, that's really cool, um, but there's something so awesome about just inviting people into your home and, and allowing them to just step into your lives for a minute. And it just like hit me. I was like, you're 100% right. Like, we'll use that building. It's going to be amazing. But there is something powerful when you open up your home to someone. And for those of us that call this church our home, like when we're here on a Sunday and there are people coming in, we seek to show hospitality here in our church home. We share in the needs of the saints. We pursue hospitality. Again, this is costly. It would be much easier just to show up, listen, grab your food, and leave. But that's not worth it. That's not gospel-centered community. Paul continues in verse 17 do not repay anyone evil for evil, but give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Again, I just want to highlight a couple of things that I think Paul is getting at here. First, he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Man, pursue peace and unity together. Be agents of peace. This is not passive, right? This is active. That we ought to be pursuing unity with one another. We need to take lead in doing that. Man, community can't happen without unity, right? It can. I know it's a little cheesy because it's like the word inside the word thing. But it's true. Like community can't happen without unity, We need to pursue peace with one another. If we are not supporting each other, we're not encouraging each other, we're talking bad about each other, we're avoiding one another because of conflict, man, then community, it's suffocated. But on the flip side, when we pursue peace, when we try to resolve conflict, when we get together and pursue restoration, man, that's powerful. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. Paul isn't saying that you need to be perfect, but what he is saying is when you have conflict, which will happen, When you butt heads with someone, which will happen, you pursue peace with that person. Again, that doesn't doesn't exist in coffee shop community. I don't even know if there is conflict. Like, if there's conflict in coffee shop community, it's yelling that your latte is wrong. Like, that doesn't even exist there, let alone pursuing peace and unity with one another. It only exists in gospel-centered community. It's difficult. It's costly. Again, but, but it's worth it. Paul also talks about loving our enemies. And again, we don't want to think about like our enemies in church, right? Like we often apply this stuff to out of church, like our difficult coworkers or that person who hurt me. But but what about in the church, like the people who hurt you? Because that will happen. The people you're in conflict with, that might happen. Pursue peace with them. Love them in a radical way. Don't just coexist with them. Paul actually says serve them. Like if they're hungry, give them something to eat. Serve them, pursue reconciliation with the people around you. And look, like we've talked about a whole lot so far, right? Like Paul just kind of goes in on all these ingredients to gospel-centered community. And we can think about it that way, right? Like ingredients, like pursuing one another in peace, brother and sisterly love, diversity and unity in the body. But what it all really comes down to is that this kind of community is costly, and I'm not going to lie to you about it. Like, I've been saying this a lot. It is expensive. It's costly. It, it requires a lot of us, but it's worth it. And that's our bottom line today is that gospel-centered community is costly, but it's worth it. It's going to require us to give up certain things, to lay down our pride, lay down our agenda, lay down our desires, submit ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, pursue reconciliation and put away offense. When people hurt us, but what we get, what we receive in gospel-centered community is so much better. It's so much more worth it, man, to be a part of a people who love you as faithfully as brothers and sisters, who open up their home to you, to be a part of something where you're welcome and you belong beyond, uh, without any prejudice, without any judgment, even when you've never belonged to anything in your life, man, you know you belong to something here. To be a part of a community that cares and supports and meets each other's needs. I mean, that's just not found anywhere else. It's costly, but it's worth it. And as we talk about this, I, I just want to, as we close, talk about some of the ways that this happens here, like when, when we talk about living word, how does this happen here? And really, 
all, the, the, one of the most important parts of it is you. Right? Like, I can sit with Doug and, and with the rest of the staff and talk about programs and plans and all these different ways to get people connected. But if you're not in on it, then it doesn't work. Like all the programming and planning, it just doesn't work. And we've been blessed because you've been in on it for so long. Like I'm thankful for you because you've been in on this for such a long time. And I want to encourage you to keep going because when you are in on it, then all the planning and all the programming, it doesn't matter. It almost takes a back seat because God begins to move in your relationships, in your community groups, in your homes. When I think about all the ways and all the times that um, community group leaders have reached out to me and be like, hey, uh, we just kind of went off book last night. Like, I know you sent out these questions and these discussion topics, but man, like someone just needed prayer, and so we prayed for them, and we went off book, and it was the most powerful thing. And then they're like, I hope that's okay. I'm like, of course that's okay. That's, that's the point, like the programming and the planning that can take a back seat when God is moving through our community, when God is moving through our relationships. I so desperately want you to own this and be sold out on this. So how do we do this here? Two things. I think we do this in our relationships and we do this as we contribute to the body. Like I think those are the two ways that we own this here. So in our relationships, I just want to highlight some of the ways that we do this. Man, I want to encourage you to build relationships here on Sundays. Like church as a whole has just become this spectator sport, kind of like a baseball game. You show up, you grab some snacks, you watch, and then you leave, and you try to avoid the parking disaster. And I just want to encourage you that this is not a spectator sport. This is a participatory sport. That our dream for a Sunday is for you to show up early, enjoy talking to people, come into service, and then stay late. Enjoy that cafe. Enjoy everything going on. Man, this is why we have a cafe team and a, and a greeting team and all these things. We want you guys to build relationships here on Sundays. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but like Rosie and our cafe team, man, they're not volunteering there because they're passionate about Entenmann's. Right, like that's, that's not what they care about, right? They know that food is one of those ways that we just connect with each other so well. That's what they care about. That's what they're trying to build. Man, we so badly want you to build relationships here on a Sunday. And that, that's available to you every single week. And we also have community groups. We, we pair our community groups. We, we organize those by stage of life. So we put you in a house full of people that um, are in the same place in life as you. And we encourage people to do life together. It's not supposed to be shallow or surface level. It's not just about joking around, although that certainly happens, but it's about getting deep. It's about doing life together. If you're in a community group, I want to encourage you to take it seriously and put the effort in. Because effort can be the difference maker between you getting really deeply plugged in with people who love you and finding that community or just giving up. Like I've seen it on both ends of the spectrum where people are just serious about community. They're serious about forming relationships. And so they push through the awkwardness of that first night and being in a room of people that they might not know and all these things, and they get really deeply plugged in. But I've also seen people, man, they want it. Like, they genuinely want community, but they show up, and it's awkward, and it's a little difficult, and so they give up, and they don't end up finding it. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a group, man, take that seriously. If you're not in a group, I would encourage you, and I, wanna, I hope that you'll consider signing up for one when we do sign-ups again in January. It was my honest hope that I could stand up here and say, we're going to extend group uh, sign-ups. I'm going to keep allowing people to sign up. But honestly, 
It would just be unwise because some of these groups are so full, I I don't feel like I can add any more people into those living rooms. But I will say there are a handful of group opportunities that are still available, so I want to highlight a couple of those. Our Thursday night Bible study, okay, they meet every week. They're a little different format than our normal community groups. It's not by stage of life. They go through a book together. They meet at our church property on Thursday nights. Every Thursday night, they're not seasonal, and on deeper nights, they go uh, to a different location. And so if you're looking to get plugged into a group, that is available to you every single Thursday night. Also, Deeper, which I just mentioned, our women's ministry, they meet bi-monthly on a Thursday night at the property. Man, what an amazing opportunity for the women of our church to gather and have fellowship together. 440 Men is our men's group. They meet on the third Tuesday of every month. Man, what a great way for men to get together and enjoy fellowship together. And then one of our stage of life community groups actually does have an opening. And and the reason I want to highlight it is because I am so passionate about this specific group getting plugged in. Man, if you're a young married person, so you're like a newlywed or you're in the first couple years of your marriage, no kids yet, you're not sure when kids are coming. Man, Hank and Teresa, they lead that group. They're absolute rock stars. Like they're the coolest people you've ever met. Okay, and they have some room in their group. And so I would love to get you plugged in for that. Sign up's closed. You just come find me after service. I can get you hooked up in that group really easily. But there are opportunities for you all over the place. We have one-on-one mentoring, which we call discipleship, right? And man, like, this has been really powerful. So what we do is we pair you up with someone a little further down the road than you. And you guys begin to do life together. You begin to form uh, an intentional relationship, maybe provide accountability for each other, pray for one another, go through a book or a video series together, and grow together. And we've seen so many powerful relationships happen because of discipleship. Man, um, guys in the room. So we, we, kicked this about, we kicked this off about six months ago. Uh, when I announced it, I had one guy sign up, one man, okay? Now I think I have two guys in it, and by the way, they're loving it. They're killing it together, okay? But, but men, there is such an opportunity for you to be discipled and be mentored. I have a list of godly men who are just eager to walk through life with you. Ladies, the flip side was true. Like, you guys came out with force on the discipleship, and you guys have been patient, okay? Because there were so many ladies that signed up that I couldn't even meet the need with disciples. So I'm working on getting disciples ready to go so that more and more of the ladies who signed up can be um, plugged in for that. If you signed up, thank you for your patience. If that's something that interests you, man, thank you for your patience. We're going to make that available to you as, the time, as time continues to go on. But man, what a powerful way for you to build relationships. And lastly, um, contributing to the body, right? So we do this through our relationships, but we also do this the way that we serve and contribute. So there there are a number of volunteer teams that you could be plugged in on. Right, like, and, and I could go through all of them, but we'd hear, be here for like another half hour. We have amazing Sunday teams that we'd love to get you plugged in on. That we could do that like immediately. We have a Wednesday outreach ministry that goes and gives free groceries to the community. We can get you in on that. Man, and you'll build relationships in that group or in that community as well, right? As you volunteer and you serve alongside people. As you use your gifts and your passions to contribute to the body. Man, I think that's so important for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you heard a lot today. And we did. We talked about programs. We talked about different opportunities. But more than anything, I hope that you heard 
that Jesus has made a way for you to belong, not just to this church, although certainly you can belong to this church, but really to belong to his eternal kingdom through his death and resurrection. That he died while we were called enemies of God, while we were still sinners, so that we might experience redemption in him, ex experience eternal life and forgiveness and freedom from sin and belong to something bigger than ourselves, belong to an eternal kingdom. And so if you have questions about that or you want to place your trust in Jesus, there's going to be someone right here at the foot of the stage after the last song. They would love to talk to you. They would love to pray with you. And I'm also going to be in the back of the room uh, during that last song if you need prayer. Let's remember, church, that community is costly, but it is worth it. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this time that we got to spend together as your people, as a community. God, I pray that you would call us into deeper community with one another. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring to mind those opportunities to love one another as brothers and sisters, to open our homes to people. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to people right now about uh, the ways that they can practically get plugged in here, whether that's serving or whether that's being a part of a group, God. God, I pray that you would call us into deeper fellowship with one another. This is not a spectator sport. We are not called to just come here, grab our coffee, and leave. God, would people just, would you call your children into deeper relationship with one another, even right here on Sunday, right now after service? God, we pray that you would just call us into deeper unity together. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for those many years of blessed community that even transcended a worldwide pandemic and shut down, God. Thank you that you still preserved community through that, God. And we're just asking that you call us now into something deeper and something better. Yes, it's costly, but it's worth it. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you... Move in the heart of anyone right now who's not a follower of Jesus, that if they have questions, they have needs that need meeting, God, that, that you would move, that you would reveal yourself to them right now. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.